right. That's some good singing, isn't it? Well, I like all kinds of music. And when I told David we were going to put this one up, he was all on board. He loves Tammy Wynette, right? No, I don't know for sure. But... Now, I like all kinds of music with the exception of rap. And you can write that down. I'm not too fond of that. I'm really not a particular fan of any one particular kind of music other than the fact that, of course, Christian music would be at the top. We all know that country music hinges upon those catchy phrases or ideas that are thrown out there. In some of the cases, you can take the most outlandish thought or concept, put it together with a tractor, a truck, hometown memory, or alcohol, and you can write a country music song. I mean, the kids and I sit around sometimes thinking, why, why did we think about that? I mean, how, could, how is it you just come up with this outlandish phrase and it sticks in everybody's mind? Well, of course, Tammy Wynette sang this song years ago, but of course, that chorus sticks in your mind. Now, I could not tell you the verses of the song, but I remember Stand By Your Man, as a matter of, man, as a matter of fact, I like the title personally. Because to stand by your man is a biblical idea. And so, it's good advice. It's biblical advice. We're not going to unpack Miss Tammy's song for our edification. But we are going to go to the Word of God and find out what the Scripture has to say to us about how women can stand by her man. Now, the woman who stands by her man, is a biblical concept. Remember, on Father's Day, as Brother David has well said, we turned the tables, and you remember what we did. We talked to the dads and fathers on behalf of the women. Wasn't that a lot of fun? (laughs) Yeah. We talked about how that your responsibility as a husband is to put your wife's needs above your own, to help her reach her God-given potential by washing her with the Word, by being sensitive to her, by sacrificing. We talked about those things. And of course, the third one was that she alone is your first earthly priority. This time is Father's Day. So I'm going to preach to the women on behalf of the men. I've been waiting a month to do this. (laughs) And I noticed that some of you women, some of the women listen to this on tape, you failed to show up. I can see, I, I know who's here and who's not. I can see some of your looks today and you think, this is going to be perhaps the most male chauvinistic sermon I've ever heard. And you have uh, a look of consternation on your face. Incidentally, I've been bombarded this last week with requests from women to get the sermon that I preached on Father's Day, I mean, and on Mother's Day, to give to their husbands on Father's Day. No, that's, that didn't really happen. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, it's time to turn the tables. Let's talk about the role of a godly wife toward her husband. You know, folks, there is such a need today to teach and preach the biblical concepts of masculinity and femininity. Just consider, just consider for a moment that we live in a culture that's drowning, drowning in cultural gender confusion. The lines are extremely blurred and we're groping around trying to find out what it means to be a man, what it means for a man to be a man and a woman to be a woman, what it means to be truly masculine, what it, true, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be feminine. 
And it's transparently clear, if you watch TV and the media, that our cultural engineers that dominate the media, they're trying their best, whether it be the educational system or strategic places of influence, they're trying to neutralize, even eliminate the gender distinctions and differences that God has hardwired into us as men and women. According to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 27. So this is the consistent drumbeat that we're all hearing, right? And unfortunately, the church has not been immune to the sound of the drumbeat. So when we consider that all the stats of marriage and divorce, we quickly realize that it's devastating upon our culture. The effects have been astronomical. And the sad reality is we as a church have allowed the secular culture to indoctrinate us rather than the sacred scriptures. What we need to do is return to what the Word of God has to say. Now what God says in His Word is countercultural, But is it right? So we have to stick to what God says in His Word. We're teaching a new members class periodically. And one of the... One of the particular values that I hold and this church is going to hold is that we value the role biblically speaking of a man and a woman in the home and in the church on those issues we cannot and shall not compromise and never has the church so desperately needed to hear what God has to say complementarity about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. We need to have those roles specifically given to us in instruction from the Word of God and not avoided. I heard about a study on marriage. The fact is they were saying that marriages are not surviving. So they took 4,000 marriages. And it started in the same year with each and carried through a significant amount of time. 4,000 marriages, that's quite a few. The goal was to see how each marriage played out. Of the 4,000 marriages in that study, over a significant amount of time, 1,300 ended in divorce. You may say, wow, 2,700 stayed together. That means that that's better than the national averages of one in two ending in divorce. Yet, of the 2,700 that stayed together, 2,000 said they wished they would have never married their spouse. They said they were miserable in their marriages. The experts say today that you have a 1 in 10 chance of having a good marriage. That sounds very desperate and it sounds depressing, but here's the good news. If you know Jesus and you follow his manual for success in your life, then your marriage can be made in heaven. Doesn't mean that you won't have difficulty here on earth, right? Because you will. Why? Because you have two sinners living under the same roof. Unless you haven't figured that out, that's a recipe for some fights ever so often. The key, however, is to follow God's instruction. Here's the problem. We don't like to follow instructions, especially God's. Uh, I'm not too good at that. I seldom read the instruction manual before I start to put something together. And I usually have to go back and read the directions after I've stumbled through it a little while. But folks, what I'm talking to you about today is a whole lot more important than you putting your model car together. It's a whole lot more for you dads and moms than it is for you putting together your children's swing set. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about the preeminent analogy of Christ Jesus and his love for the church. Just think about that. Your marriage is not the ultimate reality. You say, well, I got flesh and blood sitting behind me. I live with this man or this woman. I know it's the reality. No, folks, your marriage is a picture 
of an already existing reality. The real reality is that Christ Jesus is Lord. And He loved the church and gave Himself to the church. And the church responds in leadership to Him and submissiveness to Him. So you're living out a whole lot bigger picture than you can ever imagine in your life. And how is that going this side of heaven for you? So we've talked to the men. And now let's see what God has to say to the women. Incidentally, I found an interesting bit of information. There's more in the Bible written to women about their relationship to their husbands than vice versa. I'm just saying. There's more written to the women. But I suppose if I think about that for a moment, it's because we're harder to live with. I I knew I'd get some amens. So here are four instructions for the women. Let's start in the book of Titus. It's usually my... The purpose when I preach, we get in one text like we're in Hebrews and we preach expositionally through the Bible. Today we will preach expositionally but through multiple texts. Okay, not many but a few. Titus chapter 2. First thing I want to remind you of to you women, how to stand by your man is to be a husband loving wife. That's pretty good, isn't it? Be kindly affectionate. Translation of that Greek word. Toward your husbands. Listen to chapter 2, verse 1. Paul is going to outline some instructions for men, older men, older women, younger men, younger women. Here's what he says. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They ought to teach what is good. All right. When you're looking at a text of Scripture, you're observing things. You say, ooh, observation. What is good? Well, he's going to tell you. And so train the young women to love their husbands and their children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be blasphemed or reviled. There's that first word. Notice that in verse 4. Husband, be a husband-loving Wife, And what that translates is, oftentimes we see the word agape, and we're thinking, well, that's the height of love. That's a God kind of love. Well, that's not the Greek word here, although don't take that too far. If I was doing a Greek study, I would tell you that sometimes philos and agape are used interchangeably. But I think in this place, philos actually speaks of love in the affectionate way. In other words, at the marriage altar, ladies, you committed to love your husband In a committed way, a God kind of love, that means no matter what happens, you're going to love that person, even if you don't like them too much during the day, right? But this steps it up a little more for the wife. It's saying that you should be affectionate toward your husband. And so that's an important function. And in the construction, it's very important. It really is this. He says, younger women teach the younger women how to... Older women teach the younger women how to be husband-loving and child-loving. So in the construction, in the original language, the construction is put forward that the number one priority for that wife is to be affectionate toward her husband first. Not the children first, but to the husband first. It's not here a commitment of the heart. It's It's an expression of natural affection. We might say, tell the older women to teach the younger women to be affectionate toward their husbands. Now, interestingly, this is the only time that wives are told to love their husbands in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Now, we know that's the paramount given to men, right? Husbands, 
love your wives. And then he's going to give the atonement of Christ as an example of how you should do it. That's the backdrop. It's actually the backdrop for how husbands ought to act in the marriage and the backdrop for how women should act in the home. But this is interesting. And again, it's an encouragement to love her husband. Husbands receive this multiple times and in detailed instruction. But there's no doubt that Paul had in the top of his mind that women's first commitment under the lordship of Jesus Christ is to her own husband. This love can only be diminished by circumstances. And that's a sad thing, right? Circumstances, when it comes to this love, often diminish it. And that's a sad reality. But in the day of formal and arranged marriages, which were the case here, can you just imagine if you were set up, Blake, to marry your spouse before you knew your spouse and you had no choice? And that's what it was here. You may know the individual because you grew up in that clan or that patriarchal system. But the fact of the matter is, just think about what a, what a uh, countercultural uh, command this was to love them when they may not have wanted to choose that particular mate. Right? Think about how this is elevated. What an awesome testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the marriage unity and union when they're told to be affectionate toward their husbands, even when the marriage was arranged by the parents. One of the greatest earthly gifts that you moms and dads can ever give to your children is to love each other. Wives, what are you teaching your children about your love for your husband and what the love should look like in a real marriage designed by God and lived out on earth? What are we teaching our children? We ought to be teaching them that the greatest love known to mankind in a human relationship is the love shared between a man and a woman in marriage. Period. So I don't like that preacher. Well, get over it. It's the truth. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. That is the height of merit. That is the height of human relationships. It is the preeminent of all human relationships. A husband's love for his wife and a wife's love for her husband. So, ladies, this demands physical demonstration of affection. You guys can pay me tonight, right? Now, this does not just mean sexual. My wife is naturally affectionate toward me. The truth be known, she just can't keep her hands off of me. <laughs> All right, I thought I'd throw that in there. But let me say this. The way she touches me depends on the mood that she's in and how I'm acting. Sometimes it's a pat on the back. Sometimes it's a real affectionate squeeze of the hand. And sometimes it's a slap right upside of the head. Right? <laughs> But she's kindly affectionate toward me in all those maneuvers, right? Well, Smalley says that women are more like butterflies. And men, which they're sensitive to their surroundings. Butterflies are, but men are more like buffaloes. Impervious to their surroundings. <laughs> I agree with that. He all goes on to say, even though they're so different, buffaloes and butterflies, we still need affection. And wives, whether you think so or not, you say, well, I, I, I can't. Not my husband. No way. Yes, he does. He needs your affection. Many, many reasons. But I want to remind you, husbands and wives, wives primarily, that's what you're supposed to be hearing today, right? 
the wife's part. That's one of the reasons he fell in love with you. Is because how in the beginning you were affectionate toward him. Don't lose that. Fan the flame of affection. I also read an article that explained this need for love between husbands and wives. And it goes to say that husbands are more like dogs. And if women are going to understand them and love them, they've got to understand they're more like a dog. And vice versa. Women, if the husbands are going to know how to love them, they need to understand that they're more like cats. Huh, interesting. Well, for a woman, is it a woman or a cat? Number one, they usually do what they want. <laughs> Number two, they rarely listen to you. Number three, they're totally unpredictable. Now, this is a cat woman, right? Number four, they whine when they're not happy. Yeah. Number five, when you want to play, they want to be alone. When you want to be alone, they want to play. <laughs> That's so true. Number seven, they expect you to cater to their every whim. They're moody. Number nine, they can drive you nuts and cost you an arm and a leg. And number 10, they leave hair everywhere. Yeah. I mean, is it a woman or is it a cat? I don't know. You tell me. Are, are you ready for this one? Is it a dog or a man or both? Number one, they lie around all day sprawled out on the most comfortable piece of furniture in the house. Yep. Number two, they can hear a package of food opening a half a block away. But they can't hear you when you're in the same room with them, right? They growl when they're not happy. When you want to play, they want to play. When you want to be alone, they still want to play, right? That's us. All right, number six. They're great at begging. They will love you forever if you feed them. They leave their toys everywhere. They do disgusting things with their mouths and then try to kiss you. Oh, they can look dumb and lovable all at the same time. Yeah. So which one is it? All in fun, right? We need to stoke the fire in our marriages with the issue of affection toward one another. Now, every once in a while, a woman will say, this is not my husband. He doesn't need affection. Well, he does. He well may be the buffalo we talked about or the dog that we're talking about. But the fact of the matter is he needs affection. Now, women, how are you doing on this one? And most of you are saying, you know what? Enough on the affection thing. Let's move to the next point. <laughs> and we'll do that. To be affectionate toward a husband-loving wife. Number two, develop a submissive spirit. Ephesians 5. Let's flip over there. Ephesians chapter 5. We were in Ephesians 5. As a matter of fact, Titus 2 gives and wives be submissive. But notice the context of Ephesians 5. Beginning in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's where it begins, right? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, remember that picture, analogy of marriage? As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything, everything to their husbands. Now, I know some of you ladies uh, know that this is the favorite devotional passage for your husband. And when he's wanting to read devotionally, probably this is the one that he picks out. 
Now it's clear what he is saying. You need to develop a submissive spirit. And I've learned over the years in preaching the word and going over particular concepts that this is one that women often have a problem with. But I found that you're probably in one of two categories if you have a problem with it. Either you don't really know what it means to be submissive according to the Bible or you're misunderstanding what God requires in that. And I think that's the problem. So first, for the ones of you that may have a misunderstanding, I want you to think that this doesn't mean that you have inequality or loss of dignity or personhood. That couldn't be further from the truth. When God made male and female, he made man male and female. He made them absolutely equal in dignity and, and equality and personhood, but he also created them with different functions, right? That's complementarity. We believe in full dignity and personhood, but yet God in the garden, listen, before the fall, sin did not cause role differentiation. It messed it up, but it didn't cause it. As a matter of fact, God originally placed them in the garden with that function. Man is to lead, and the woman is to be the helper. Completely equal, but differing role function. It's called complementarianism. And it doesn't mean that you're to be at your husband's beckoning call, and every time he says jump, you say how high. That's not what this is talking about. It's not saying that you're to be a doormat. We understand that this submission is voluntary. Where he says, husbands, you love your wives with an imperative command. When it says be submissive, it has more of the voluntary issue of it. Where you voluntarily line yourself up under the authority of your husband. And you follow his God-given leadership. That's what the terminology means. The second issue women face is a misunderstanding of why God requires it. Well, folks, I'm thinking that God always has His divine order of how things ought to go. And if you read through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, along with the creation narrative, why does God require this? Well, I think ultimately because God in His Godhead is much like this. God is the Father. The Son of God is completely equal, but yet He is always submissive to the will of the Father. The Spirit is equal to the Father and the Son, but the Spirit of God is always bragging on Jesus. Right? So even in the divine trinity, you see the picture of equality, yet differing role functions. And so it is that God has given this. We know this from Scripture. And if I had time to, to show you the whole picture, I would, but I don't. But the fact of the matter is, here's something I want you ladies to think about. When you get over to 1 Peter, which we're going to definitely be there in a few moments, so you can go ahead and make your way over there. In 1 Peter chapter 3, the Bible presents something that is interesting. Submission should not be seen by you as a tool for your husband to keep you under his thumb, but it ought to be seen as a tool for you to use for God's glory. Did everybody catch that? And how is it that you can use that as a tool? It's actually a beautiful picture in its context. Context. Listen to chapter 3 of, of 1 Peter. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word... We take that to mean one of two things. They're either lost or they're saved but disobedient to the word. They may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Isn't that a pretty awesome thing? That you are given an opportunity to make an impact on somebody 
that there may not ever be an impact made upon because you live in that home. And by your character and by your submissiveness and not even saying a word against him or not, might we say nagging. Anybody ever have a problem with nagging your husband? Just testify time, right? No, I think that probably happens. You know what the book of Proverbs says? It says that a nagging woman is like a dripping rain. Do you know what that sounds like? Drip, drip, drip. Y'all get the idea? That's what the Proverbs says. But the Bible says you will influence that man most by your submissive spirit. I didn't make that up. That's what the text says, right? By your conduct living for Jesus, it will mellow his heart toward you and to the Lord. I remember one day before I preached a sermon on the role of the husband and the wife, a man came to me in my former church and he said, I want to tell you something. I'm a living reality of 1 Peter chapter 3. He said, well, when I first married my spouse, he said, we were rocking along pretty well in our marriage and all of a sudden I started desiring to go back and hang with the boys. So I'd be out late after work, come in around 11 or 12 and I would indulge with alcohol he said, I would walk in, and Reba would never say anything to me. She'd just be on her knees praying. He said, it's like he took a knife and stuck it into my heart, and twisted it every time I walked into the house. He said, it wasn't long till the Holy Spirit of God began to speak to him through the Word. And through a praying wife on her knees, God changed that man. You ought to meet that man today, Mr. James Morrow. All because of a woman on her knees, not nagging, not trying to right the ship, make sure he does everything right, and, and nagging all the time, but showing that submissive spirit, praying for her husband. You need to be a husband-loving wife. You need to develop a submissive spirit. Can y'all handle two more? Not one, just two more. You guys enjoying this? All right. We're going to pass the offering plate when we're done, right? Number three, strive for inner beauty. You don't have to go anywhere. If you made it to 1 Peter chapter 3, take a look at it. Verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of the hair and the putting on of gold jewelry are the clothing you wear. Oh, listen, ladies. Do we ever need this in the United States of America? But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Wow. Strive for inner beauty. What an awesome text of Scripture. You know, first, it's not saying that you have no responsibility to take care of your outward appearance. Sometimes we think that's what it's saying. It's not saying you should have no concern of how you are adorned on the exterior. Exterior. Every once in a while, somebody will come along and they've got this legalistic attitude and they say, well, it's totally vain for any woman to concern herself with makeup or outward appearance. She shouldn't wear jewelry and she shouldn't wear makeup. Huh. What did I say about that? Well, in the South, this is what I would say. All fun intended. Y'all ready? If the barn needs painting, paint the barn. <laughs> Amen? Oh, it's all in fun, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We like for you to wear makeup and jewelry and to look pretty. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, he's not telling you to neglect your outer appearance. A better translation is, do not let your beauty only be outward. Think about this for a moment. 
You need to work on the inside. Strive for inner beauty. Today, it's easy for women to put all the eggs in one basket. And it's in the basket of the outside, outward appearance. I have to stay smooth, fit. I've got to keep my girlish figure. He will love me more, sometimes is a thought, if that's the case. Have you ever figured out that all that's a losing battle? Now, it's a good thing to exercise. It's a good thing to eat all the health wafers and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's definitely good for us to concern ourselves. The Bible says bodily exercise profits little, but it does profit. But godliness with contentment is great gain. I think that Timothy, hearing that from Paul, would have reiterated the same thing that Peter is saying. This difference between the outside and the inside. But it's a losing battle if you think that you're going to be able to carry all of that for the rest of your life. It's just not going to do it. I'm going to tell you why. Time and gravity will get you. What you tuck up is going to come down. Right? I promise you it's going to happen. So it's a bad thing for you to put all your eggs in that basket anyway. There's beauty that is, however, so much greater that does not fade away. And that's the inner beauty of the heart. Striving for inner beauty. Gentle and a quiet spirit. And don't you love this? It's precious in the sight of God. We have to stop and think, ladies. What is the most important thing in my life? It is that I strive for inner beauty. Why? Because that's what's precious in the sight of my God that I belong to. That's what's most important. And I would add to that, it's precious in the sight of most men as well, if you're honest. Every husband needs a wife that is like a port of calm in the midst of the storms of life. And I think the best way to develop that inner beauty is to understand truly how God made you as a woman. There's nothing wrong with us celebrating true masculinity, true femininity. We ought to do that as a church. We have nothing to apologize because our men are men and our women are women. You don't need to walk around on eggshells thinking, well, we've got to be careful in our society. Hogwash. Live it according to the Bible. Let the chips fall where they're made. Does that mean you should be divisive and mean-spirited? Absolutely not. Because that's not the character of Jesus. It's not us against them. Because the them, that was you before you met Christ. Right? But what the goal is, is we shall not and will not bend to the cultural wind simply because they say we should do this and they say we shouldn't do this and a man's made this way, woman's made this way. Folks, that's what's wrong with our society now, today. Because our men, boys haven't been taught how to be men and vice versa for the women. So we need to embrace the feminine aspects of who you are, ladies. Nothing wrong with that. And you can spend all day long fighting that outward beauty war and forget the most important thing, and that's the inner beauty that God calls precious. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Number four, maintain a reverent attitude. Some of you women are going to choke on this one, but, but as you're choking, start chewing a little bit and thinking, okay? Verse five. For this is how the holy women of hoped in God, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used, used to adorn themselves. How do they adorn themselves? With the inner beauty. I want to remind you that uh, Sarah was a, probably a pretty good-looking woman, right? But she still adorned herself on the inside, more importantly. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him... Say it, ladies. 
Come on. Oh, you're not choking too bad on that. And check this out. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I, I take in that frightening thing that, that uh, Abraham was a knucklehead a few times. He didn't treat his wife as he should. But boy, did she ever submit to him. And she trusted in the Lord. And you are her daughters when you live in this way. And it's maintaining a reverent attitude. Now, the thing you choked on, calling him Lord, some of you are saying, I'm not calling that Buffalo Lord. You can forget that. Well, it's a term of reverence and respect. It's like the equivalent of saying, sir. And that's what Sarah would say to Abraham, calling him sir. It is an ancient terminology, ancient terminology for terms of respect. And it translates today into the attitude of reverence that you should show toward your husband. Listen to what Paul says back over in Ephesians chapter 5. He ends that narrative, once he, that didactic teaching part, once he goes from husbands loving your wives, wives loving your husbands. And he says, but I'm telling you a mystery. I'm giving you something bigger here. It's really about Christ and his church. But look how he ends in verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, men, ladies, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Same terminology. Well, preacher, my husband doesn't deserve this kind of respect. Well, have you ever stopped to think that if you treat him like this, he may earn your respect? I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, you are married for life. You're not getting another one. You can't go to Walmart and trade him in, right? If, you, if you're sticking to what the Word of God has to say to us, if most men were honest, this is what they want most from their wives. They want respect. Women want men to love and cherish them. And men want wives to respect and admire them. And I've learned the secret for women living with their man. I'm just going to tell you, from my perspective, I'm pretty simple. I'm not that complicated. Men actually are straight wired. Do you all know that? you know what that means? If you press button A, you're going to get response A. If you press button B, you're going to get... If you press button... You're going to get, uh, that's not true with women. They're straight, we're straight wired. I mean, yeah, we're straight wired. They're cross wired, right? If you press button A, son, you might get B, C, D, you might even get Z. And actually the whole thing might ground out, right? It sure might. You just never know. But we're pretty simple. I'm telling you, we're simple, simple beings. And here's what I know about men whether they admit it or not, you're a person of ego. I haven't been around any person in this church, men, that doesn't have some kind of ego. It don't take long for men to stand around. We're jockeying with each other like, well, I used to do this. Better to have been a has-been than never was, right? We're talking about all these things. I killed this big old deer. I got it hung on my wall. I mean, I caught this big fish. I mean, we're men of ego. We, we're just, we have ego issues. We operate so much by self-image. Now, people of old used to say that a way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And I do like to eat, right? But in the end, the man won't love you because you're a good cook. But I will tell you this. If you stroke your man's ego, he'll follow you anywhere. And folks, in our world, men are looking to have their ego stroked all over the place. And it's a crying, crying shame that what they ought to get in the home, they get down at the workplace. Now, I'm giving no excuses for men because you can be pretty much knuckleheads. We know that. 
But the fact of the matter is, why in the world should godly wives ever let anyone else stroke their husband's ego? Hello? Are y'all listening? Why in the world should we ever allow that to even happen? If we're working on that affectionate level in the home, that won't be the case. And this is, in fact, why so many marriages fail. Somebody begins to stroke that ego a little bit, and the husband on the outside starts feeling good about himself because he don't feel good about himself in the home. A lot of that's his fault, but some of that can be laid, laid on the part of the wife, too. Let's just be honest. We know that. When he feels good about himself, I promise you he'll feel a whole, whole lot better about you. Now, look, ladies, don't look at me so mad. You got your chance when I preached on, right? Yeah, it's kind of quiet, kind of quiet. Now, let's look at how this looks. Men, we know from Scripture that you have to put her needs before your own. That's what Jesus did for you, right? Laid aside all of his glory in heaven. Came down to this earth, took on our human flesh. Died in our stead, right? Bore your sins in his body on the tree so that you could have his righteousness applied to your life. So put her needs before your own. Help her reach her God-given potential. You have a sanctifying part in your wife becoming more like Jesus. Is she more like Jesus because of you? Or in spite of you. And then we remember that we talked about that she ought to be your first earthly priority. That looks pretty, doesn't it? How about the flip side? Be a husband, loving wife. Develop a submissive spirit. Strive for that inner beauty. Maintain a reverent attitude. That's a good looking godly home, isn't it? That's what we need. At this church, we need that in our families, with our men and women. Now, this won't happen if a man or a woman is not a believer. Of course, we know that the wife is charged to stay in that relationship. And by her godly character, she may win him to Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 7, we're reminded for husbands and wives to remain unless the unbelieving spouse leaves. Okay? But here's the deal. If you're in that marriage, and one of you in this building is an unbeliever. It's pretty hard to have a God-glorifying marriage until you settle that relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the most important. As a matter of fact, if that vertical is not right, boys, that horizontal is going to be difficult, isn't it? We want to have the relationship with our spouse that God desires, but you first have to be right with the God of marriage, the very one who gave it. You've got to settle that number one relationship first. We relate best to one another when we are first related best to our God that created marriage. If you're not a child of God, or you're a child of God and you're away from the Lord, would you return to Him? Would you this morning, men, women? It's impossible if we don't know the Lord. The first thing we have to do is surrender to Jesus. That word sounds a little bit difficult. Surrender. Well, I want to remind you, you've never become a Christian or you never will become one if you hadn't surrendered to Christ. I want to remind you of the gospel. In this manner, God loved the world. That he gave his only unique son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, we've laughed and we've had fun. But, Lord, your word still rings true. 
God, I pray, and it's been one of our prayers on Wednesday night in our prayer meeting. God, would you raise up godly men to be fathers and husbands? God, would you raise up godly women that are going to love their husbands, that are going to strive for inner beauty, they're going to develop a submissive attitude, and they're going to be reverent, Lord, respectful. God, would you work, and I know there are all kinds of feelings that come into this when you sit before a sermon and things are not going well at home. Lord, we think about every excuse under the sun of why things are not working out, why it's her fault or his fault. But God, we all have to be willing to be risk takers because you don't risk anything. And we have to stop and say, I am the problem. So I'm going to do all I can as a man of God to change that situation in my home. I'm going to take the reins and I'm going to be that godly man that I'm supposed to be. And Lord, that godly woman in that home can do the same thing. I'm going to follow what the Word of God says, that instruction manual. See how God blesses that home. Lord, would you help us do that as your people? God, would you help me grow as a better father and a husband? Lord, whatever it takes. Lord, you're in control. Lord, would you orchestrate what you would have in this service? Lord, for men uh, to turn back to you. And Lord, for our women to do so. And we pray this in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior. Amen.